time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. So, Chris, a little fun background on Tamina, too, and how we met. Um, actually, Mriganka's, one of Mriganka's mentors at Microsoft who, who helped say, yeah, you should marry Neil. Um, <laughs> That's a good friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we happened to meet at, at her house one time. And then, uh, you know, I helped out with, uh, gave a little advice to a nonprofit on startup visas for a while uh, as a result of her introduction. And... Um, uh, she's kind of been this policy mover and shaker, always kind of wondering about where things go. And, um, you know, I was like, we, we've just got to have her. She thinks more about immigration than anybody else. And then, mm -hmm. of course, well, being the son of immigrants and she's an immigrant. And, you know, obviously, I think about immigrant having a wife who's an immigrant, like my entire family is immigrants other than me. Right. I've said, well, this. look around this country. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, this has got to be good. We're going to learn things. Yes. Um, and she just wrote a new book. So I said, OK, we've got to have her. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you so did grateful. that. Neil. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful. Yeah. For well, I actually. I have information that's going to be really important to you guys, I think, because what I was doing with the book was advocating for some of these changes. And one of the things that was sort of sitting a low hanging fruit, if you like, you know, wait, can we go backwards? Wait, 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 let's yeah. not jump in. Let's go backwards. Tamina, I know, um, you know, uh, by, by day you're Batman and by night you're, you know, you're uh, <laughs> an immigration attorney um, who works on policy and mm -hmm. works on, you know, actually helping people get visas. And like, you know, I know I sent a, a client to you recently, um, known each other for a long time, but I feel like I don't do justice explaining who you are. Um, do you mind sharing just a little bit about your story sure. and um, yeah. help people I'm, understand where your accent comes from and everything too and sure. um, the whole thing? <laughs> well, hopefully they tuned into the fact that I'm an immigrant too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was born and raised in London, but for a little while of my life, I lived in Bangladesh. My parents were immigrants to the UK from Bangladesh. And then when I got married to my American husband, I lived here. I moved to Seattle, Washington. But I was a lawyer in the UK, a brand new barrister, when I got married and I had to figure out had to become a lawyer again in the U.S. And so I took the... You didn't have to wear a wig, though, did you? I, I did. I was one of those <laughs> you had ones, your wigs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could ditch that in the U.S. I had to earn that wig and get That's right. That's right. <laughs> Don't um, throw it away too lightly. Oh, my gosh. I've got to find ways to display it now. But um, when, when I moved here, I had to figure out what to, how to become a lawyer. And I took the New York bar exams and I was living in Washington state. And now I'm, I'm very limited in what law I can practice because I didn't have a state license here, but immigration is federal um, law and you can practice it from anywhere in the country. But of all the areas of law, this is the one I didn't want to practice. I really didn't want to. <laughs> my father was an immigration lawyer and I, in, in, in the UK, and in my mind, immigration was asylum. And I really wanted to do something different. I wanted to be different. Um, it turns out that immigration kept following me. And then the third job was the one that I'm like, ah, nothing's coming my way. I might as well just do it. And then the very first day I was like, why am I fighting this? 
It's my calling. And it kept following me until I succumbed to it. And it's, it's a good fit because at this point, I'm international. I've lived through different countries, but I had to go through the immigration process so I can put myself in my client's shoes. But it's also a very challenging area of law. It's, it's very complicated. You know, you really have to specialize in it to do a good job in this area. And I make a, an impact on my clients' lives, whether it's their livelihoods or their lived, loved ones. And um, all in all, that's why it's my calling. So it kept following me. So that's who I am. My day job is being an immigration lawyer. I have my own law firm, Watson Immigration Law. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, nine to five, if you like. Uh, but you know, as Neil said, you know, my night job is really to just everything else I really want to do, which is be the change that I want to see. And that's part of, you know, policies and helping the community. Um, I have a podcast, too. Uh, that's why I have the studio. Um, but I love writing. I didn't really realize how important that is as a tool to educate and inform, especially when there's so much mis- misinformation out there. So now I I have a column. I actually have two as of yesterday. I have a bi-weekly column in a national magazine called Above the Law. And uh, as of yesterday, I'm a columnist with Entrepreneur Magazine. So I'm pretty excited about that. Congratulations to me. That's fantastic. Thank Did you. your father give you a sense of foreboding when he found that you were following into in, immigration law? No, he... He, he, he didn't quite get to see enough of my immigration law practice because he passed away. But what mm. he really wanted me to do was be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he got to see that. But what he did sort of like he wasn't terribly happy about was me moving from the UK to the US. Mm. So that was the bigger challenge that we had to initially deal with. But, mm-hmm. you know, home is where your heart is. And I have an amazing husband. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I ended up here. Yeah. yeah. Well, we share that. I also think um, it must be true what you say that to work inside immigration gives you unique insights because uh, the title of your book, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era, uh, I don't know of any, but you seem to have found (laughs) some. Right. Yes. Yes. There were just as many who are not heroes. Right. You know, I actually wrote an article about those yeah, non-heroes and the heroes, but mm-hmm. none of the newspapers would take my placement. So uh, I couldn't quite get that article out there. But it's mm-hmm. it's hovering somewhere where I want to actually get it out. But there were a lot of them. I mean, if you think about the last four years, the rule of law really was under attack. And when that was under attack, it's the lawyers that were saving the day, whether they were going to the airports or whether they were going to the border uh, or whether they were just fighting policy. And immigration lawyers typically are not litigators unless you're going into immigration court. But what happened was there was a trend of litigation suddenly because you had to fight the administration on the executive orders or the policy memos that were coming out. And so you know, there are a lot of heroes. I only write about 13 of them because those were the people that um, I knew and could reach very easily. But there are just as many that I didn't write about. Yeah, wow. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've been lucky in, I haven't really had to think much about immigration in my life, although that's been a big portion of my family's life, right? Um, mm-hmm. In, in every way. So it's so cool that you're 
um, <laughs> that you're here to share more about what what's going wrong and what's going to go better and what has gone better. I result of some of the tell you, I feel positively provincial. Okay. <laughs> compared to you guys, globe trotting Neil to, from Kenya to Wisconsin <laughs> to Washington, Arizona to Washington. Yeah. 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 And you from Bangladesh to the UK to Seattle. Yeah. I've yeah. Gone from New Orleans to. You lived Pasadena. in China for a while. Come on. I did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've had, but I didn't have to immigrate or, you know, really fight through any of the legal challenges that might present themselves to a real fresh immigrant. Um, so, yeah. Tamina, take yeah. us into the book. Give us some yeah. insights. Tell yeah. me about some of these heroes the and yeah. the work yeah. you're doing. Well, to be honest, what I wanted to share with you and your audience is really the exciting stuff about the startup visa, because, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's going to be really um, uh, impactful to you. But to, I'll tell you about both of them. So this book came out, Legal Heroes came out uh, last year, October 2020. And it was really, I, I wrote it and I had a lot of help because I really wanted to make sure that if we were going to get a second term, we were prepared for it. So that's why I had a lot of people share their insights about how they prepared between November 2016 and January 2017 and what they had to do to fight uh, after that so that we had those insights to prepare. And I really wanted to get that book out before the election. So it was really um, a very fast process for that. And then I, it was my first audio book too, and that came out in February 2021. And that was an experience in and of itself. But as soon as the election was won, uh, in, in November 2020, that's when I realized we now have an, a, a real opportunity to actually see laws changed. And one of the things that brought Neil and I together was the startup visa. So not only is immigration reform on the table, the startup visa immediately became an important issue again to me. So I started to write the second edition of my actual first book, which is called The Startup Visa. Yes. I started to write it in January as soon as I sort of could wrap up Legal Heroes. And there are two things in it. Uh, primarily updating what has happened since 2015 when I first wrote the book. And legally speaking, the law had not changed, but a lot of policies had changed. But one of them was President Obama created a rule called the International Entrepreneur Rule, which is really a regulatory re reinterpretation of some of the laws that existed so that startup founders who cannot come to the U.S. actually have a pathway. And so it's called the International Entrepreneur Rule. And it really does allow an international entrepreneur, a startup founder, if they are backed by investors like yourselves, whether they're accelerators, uh, angel investors or venture capitalists who are investing in this entrepreneur who has a promise of a rapid growth company to come to the U.S. and build their company. And so the book was really saying, hey, you know, you have this rule sitting there, please restart it. But as I was writing it, hoping for, for it to be the advocacy, the Biden administration actually restored it on May 11th. So as you know, Neil and my team was re really trying to get this on the calendar, the policy has changed. So it's actually really right. <laughs> for all Phenomenal. Yeah, 
it's like the universe has really helped this. And that's really why I feel so grateful that the Entrepreneur Magazine also accepted me now because it took a six month process to be vetted and approved. But what it is, is this. It's really the government is hanging their hats on the investors like yourself because they don't know the entrepreneurs. You know, so they're really looking maybe at, we, you know, maybe we can give the one example you gave to me that got me interested in some of the policy work around startup visas around the Indian entrepreneur who went back and started the big tech company. Was it, it wasn't Flipkart. It was the other one, the other really big snap deal, I think right? snap deal, snap deal. Right. So he leaves yeah, and he, so, he leaves and he starts yeah. a billion dollar company in India. He was a Microsoft employee who couldn't extend his visa. Mm. <laughs> right? Like, right. Would you rather have that guy here? Or would you rather have that guy over there? Um, <laughs> well, the world is glad he's, he's in it. <laughs> yeah. The world's glad. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Although, uh, you know, the United States citizens rather have entrepreneurs who are bringing productivity like that to the country. Yeah. And there are many like him that don't necessarily make the news. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't necessarily need to make a billion dollars to employ a lot of people and add to the economy. And so um, this rule allows somebody to have that pathway. And so what is the rule? It's basically a stopgap and a a version of a startup visa. And it says that if you are... um, an entrepreneur who has a company that's based in the US. So there's going to have to be some creativity around that for people who are not here. But if you have a company here, if you are um, a central playing a central role in your company, um, and three people in the company can actually use this one um, petition, not one petition, but this startup. Um, and normally, as you know, most fa- founding companies will have a CTO, CEO, and CEO, COO. All three could come. And if you have raised at least $250,000 from venture capitalists, angels, or accelerators, and it could be one investment amount or multiple, um, and, and I'm going to go and talk about the investors in a moment because that's going like to take a little time because you guys are the right people to know about that. Um, and then if you can show that your business is going to have rapid growth and significant public benefit. And by that, they're really saying, show me the money. So I'm telling everybody, you know, show the government the money um, and where they're going to create the jobs and how much money they're going to make. Those people can actually come to the U.S. for two and a half years. And then if they meet more metrics, they can get another two and a half years. And the idea is that at least they have a pathway to get here when they didn't have that at all. And then they can move on to a different visa category where Neil had actually done a lot of uh, put a lot of time uh, and guidance into one of the organizations uh, that was helping entrepreneurs using the H-1B visa, they can find another visa category to go to or p- potentially even get a green card if they have proven themselves. But as I mentioned earlier, the government is really hanging their hat on the investor. So what are they looking at? They want to see that the investor is an American citizen if it's an, uh, an angel or a green card holder. If it's an accelerator or if it were um, a venture capitalist, capital company, they want to see that the majority shareholders are Americans, US citizens or green card holders. But it's not just that. They want to see that the investors have made previous investments, 
at least in the amount of $600,000. Whether it's one or two or many, they want to see that much investment done in the past. They also want to see that if you had invested in the past in these $600,000 amounts, at least two of those companies have either um, uh, generated $500,000 in revenue and created five jobs. So there's sort of like a, a, a metric of who the qualified investor will be. So it can't be the angel investor who's just, you know, putting investment in when they want to, but not really tracking their portfolio. They're looking for the, the expertise of the investor to make sure that they are investing in people that they trust and believe in. And so that's how the government is really going to make their decision that the investors know what they're doing. And that's why in one of my articles, I called it a shark tank situation, because how else would the government have that, you know, um, trust? And so it really is a novel way to do this because it has not occurred in American history at all. The visa categories that we have are from the 1990s, but the world has changed so many times over that the business practices and the law do not match. In the, the, the existing visa categories are based on your own money. So if you have your own money, you can do this and you have to own at least 51%. Well, and the, it, Chris, this, this seems akin to you saying you couldn't code yourself as a bioinformaticist in the 80s, right? Um, <laughs> on, any, on any census or tax returns, right? So law never really keeps up with it. Yeah, but it's so archaic that we really needed something, especially as COVID pro has proven the value of immigrants. I mean, whichever way you look, immigrants have been holding up everything. Like Zoom, for example, he's he's a he's an immigrant from China. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Moderna the vaccines were created co-created by immigrants. They're saving mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. The apples that you see in the grocery store they're picked by immigrants. Mm -hmm. The phone that you're using, the network, the hardware, the software they're being maintained by skilled immigrants to a large part. There's so much visibly and in visibly going on that people don't appreciate it. And what is very important for people to know is immigrants are part and parcel of this country from the time America, you know, came to be. And they can be, you, you know, not used. The immigration laws can be used as a tool for economic growth. And that's what's not happening at the moment on a larger scale. But this entrepreneur program is a start to proving that immigrants can be part of the economic solution. It's so, uh, so strange, uh, Tamina, that this, uh, it's a great opening, but it still seems that the structure of U.S. immigration law, or the U.S. basically, is that we're open for work, but not open for citizenship. And so that's been something that I think uh, has certainly been part of the latter 20th century um, and still continues to this day. While these openings are very welcome, it still seems a rockier path to actual citizenship, even at least at getting your foot in the door is the first step and finding suitable work and producing for the economy. But ultimately, do you see any changes there or do you hope that this is a kind of first step toward an easier path towards citizenship and a full embrace of 
the immigrant experience, which America is truly built on. What we really need is a startup visa that's actually in the laws. Um, one of the things that uh, I believe Neil was part of it, when this rule was happening, we actually had to comment. The public had the opportunity to comment on how do you make this better? Because yes, there's a lot of burden on the investor in this particular scenario that I described. But, you know, the, the government did what they did. And it's, a, as you say, an opening. It's better than nothing. We haven't got anything. But what we do need is a startup visa in and of itself. So no administration can basically mess with it, depending on which side of the aisle they're on. But what we really need is immigration reform. Because no matter what kind of immigration you look at, whether it's the dreamers that are, you know, all but American, or whether it's the border that's always in the news, or if it's the high-skilled immigrants that, you know, uh, are often labeled badly, or, you know, it's a family-based immigration, whether it's parents, children, spouses, every aspect of immigration really needs reform. What we're not getting from this Congress or even the past three decades is meeting of the minds to improve it so that the immigration laws can be used as an economic tool. No matter how they reform it, you know, reform will inevitably allow be betterment of, of what it is. Um, at the moment. And that's what we need to strive for. So the advocacy doesn't stop just because this rule is restored. And my book is actually coming out on July 13th, the second edition, where I update and talk about what's happened over the last four years and how we can improve the existing laws or, or with just policy tweaks. Um, one example that might interest you is, you know, in 20. 10, uh, some policy changes were made in 2012, where you could use the word incubator. Before that, you wouldn't use it, you know, because the officers were not trained on what happens in the startup world. That has improved. But what um, COVID has shown us, you don't need an office anymore. You could very well work from home remotely and continue to make that million dollar business go on. But when it comes to immigration, you need that office. I cannot file a case where my client doesn't have a lease because I know I'm going to have problems with getting that approved because there's very much that sentiment that you have to do it in a traditional way. So things can be changed administratively with policy changes. So that's part of the advocacy, but the law ultimately needs to change. Fascinating. You know, I, I know bits of it and obviously I'm supportive of it, but um, I'm kind of curious about other immigration laws that, 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 you know, I mean, not that you don't have enough on your plate. What other policies do you look at? Oh, my gosh, a... you know, so many. I mean, over the last four years, it was very much, you know, um, there was no sleeping uh, because there were too many problems that needed to happen uh, solved. But the, we couldn't find solutions for everything. But, you know, for me, helping the community was so important. And so I started a nonprofit with some co-founders where we were training non-immigration lawyers in immigration law so that we could group <laughs> them with expert lawyers to get detained representation. And, and that started because of the separation of parents. And we had about 200 of those people here. But in addition to that, the demand 
for lawyers was so high that lawyers just couldn't go out and do pro bono as much. So um, I was part of a group of people where we created a stipended legal clinic program where you would give the immigration lawyers a small stipend to value their time and show that we value them and then get the community help. And that has now firmly been established. We've run several legal clinics. But what does that mean for now? What it means for now is we still need legal representation. And just in the last few days or this week, the administration announced new ways to tackle the growing back. Oh, it's already a backlog, but it's a it's an even bigger problem day by day that there are lots of people from the border and other places that need to go into courtrooms and get their cases resolved. So they're calling it rocket docket. Uh, but they don't have a lot of the, the plans in place quite yet. At least I don't know if they have. But there's not a lot of capacity on the ground. So, you know, a group of us in Washington state, we're starting to talk about how can we, um, you know, fix those. But for policy, there's just so many that needs to be fixed. If you think about COVID alone, embassies around the world are closed, U.S. embassies. And if you don't go to these embassies, you cannot get a visa. So whether you're waiting for a green card or just to get the H-1B visa stamp in your passport, we're simply at a standstill. So for me, there's only so much one person can do, but I am writing my biweekly column to report on what I'm seeing every day. These are the problems and these are the solutions that we can have. So I'm using these articles to send them to various Congress, um, congressional offices to say, hey, there's a solution you could find for the backlog. You can have a solution for, um, you know, merit-based immigration. I mean, I'm in favor of it. You know, in the last four years, merit-based was used as a form of distraction. You know, immigrants are taking our jobs away, so we should create merit-based. But what they really meant was it was going to create more obstacles, just like you said, Chris, earlier. It was going to be a facade to stop people from coming in. So that's not what we would want. But what if we had a real merit-based system? That could actually work. Canada has it. Australia has it. Are they perfect? No. But we could create something like those systems, inspired by, the, by those systems, and make something for ourselves. Reform means we can just do whatever we want, I'd say. You know, make something that works for America. And that, so there are many policies that I think about. Um, I wish I could think less, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm recently distracted by p birds. I'm becoming a bird watcher. So that's my little like, you know, not think about law for a moment. Um, but, you know, every aspect of immigration needs changing. And um, there's a lot that needs to be done. Were you comparing the birds saying that immigration is, you know, as complex as birds or something like, did I miss something oh here? Oh my gosh, I should do that. People are flying here, I... or, <laughs> the birds immigrate easier than humans, uh, and they're just as beautiful. You know, that's... <laughs> Oh, I love it. What a great analogy. I did not think of that. I was only saying it's a, it's a moment when I'm distracted from the law and it's given me some sort of food for my soul. Um, but what I'm realizing, you need the food for your soul to keep going on because sometimes you're just hitting a brick wall. Um, and so, yes, I, I think about and breathe immigration law day in, day out. Well, I was going to say, I guess, if you had to wave a wand and change one facet of our immigration system, 
I don't know how you can limit it to just one. It's like choosing your favorite food or something, but what would you think is the most acute problem you would like to see addressed? I think it is difficult to give one thing, um, but if I had to choose, I mean, honestly, I think my immigration lawyer friends would not be happy with me, but I think Part of it is the narrative that the public is seeing all the time. And so if I had a magic wand, I would want to change the narrative on immigration so that everything else can follow. You know, when you turn on the news, you're not hearing about the Snap Deal founder not being allowed to stay here. You're not hearing about the Zoom founder creating a billion dollar company here who's an immigrant. These things can actually change the narrative that will then make, you know, the congressional representatives actually accountable to their constituents who are the lay people who are voting for them. And so that would be my magic wand. But if you had to say, pick an area of law, I would then say, you know, change the visa system because we have 140,000 visas for employment-based and 220,000 uh, visas for family-based. That number is just, you know, outdated. And it means people have to wait decades to get their green cards, depending on where yeah, they're it took from. took my brother-in-law like 17 years or something. He just got yeah, it a couple weeks ago. That's the average. Sometimes it's more. It's crazy. So that, that Been through a couple be... of exits and he still couldn't get his green card. Yeah. Had a couple totally. of kids. <laughs> Productively paying taxes. 17 years to get a green card. His whole family are, are citizens, but he's not. Yeah. All the kids. Yeah. A friend of mine actually shared a tweet with me and the tweet basically said, um, yeah, today we got the approval for my uncle whose application was filed 20 years ago, but he just died two months ago. Oh, you know, I mean, people, oh. you know, it's, it's just rather ridiculous. Um, and so I do think that would be. The maybe if I had to choose one, that's what I would change because mm -hmm. I know that would impact a lot of people. But if I had to pick the second one, that would be the startup visa because then I could prove, you know, quite visibly the benefit on paper with data that the, these entrepreneurs have created this, this many jobs for Americans. Look at the narrative changing. So it's, it's a hard choice, but it's a good question for sure. You know, it, when I think about immigration a lot, kind of shifting gears on some of that, when I think about immigration a lot, I think about the fight for natural resources in, we'll call them the Americas, North, South, Central, um, and how we fought very well in the United States for a lot of uh, natural resources, and we were lucky to have some natural resources, and I feel like we're going to have a big, much bigger wave than we've ever seen of people coming to the United States or wanting to come to the United States and it will be potentially very bad. So I understand, you know, I don't like it, but I understand some of the rationale behind Trump saying, let's build a wall. Um, it seems like it's inevitable that the, you know, immigration and how we deal with people wanting to come here will from now on be front and center where I don't think it seemed like it was 20 years ago in the legislative agenda for America. Right. It I seems agree. like every presidential election is now going to start to talk about immigration. I agree. Um, 
And How does the U.S. Reform... deal with this influx that seems like will happen whether the U.S. wants it or not because there's not enough walls and enough thoughtfulness? Like, how can the U.S. be very mindful in dealing with this issue over the next 20 years? Well, I think the, the conversation starts now and you see what's happening with the leadership now. You know, the vice president went to uh, Guatemala this week to talk about it. What I, what I like about the, the approach is to actually just go to the root of it. It's sort of like that analogy where, you know, children are drowning and people are going to help the children. But then suddenly this person sort of walks, keeps walking and the person saving the kids are like, why are you not coming to save them? And the person said, well, I'm just going to go see why the those kids of coming this way. And I think that's important because the root causes of why they're coming, anybody who's coming, it's, it's, it's a heart-wrenching story for each of those people. They're fleeing for their lives. A lot of times they're sending their children, you know, just to keep them alive, knowing that they may not make it, you know, that can't keep going on. And a border wall doesn't necessarily solve the problem because as we've seen many times, they could climb over the wall or dig a hole under the wall. That doesn't solve the problem. And so um, I think this administration looking at the Central America problem is important, but these problems didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And therefore the solutions will not be overnight. And so I think it's important to give them the time to come to some solutions I hope they can come to them. For example, the Chobani um, founder, who was a refugee here, right. who's now a prominent investor and created many, many jobs, he's taking manufacturing. Forget being a forget being an investor. How many people did he help buy a house out of Chobani? That was oh, spectacular. Shit. That's the that's yeah. the heartwarming story of Chobani. Oh my gosh, I just got goosebumps. Um, mm. But he's now, you know, creating that uh, environment in in Latin America. And if all of these people, I think there was a meeting with Microsoft and others, if these companies then go and create those jobs and start making a difference, mm -hmm. then I think that will trickle over to this. But coming to your border wall, reform also means putting measures in place that can address those issues using technology. I mean, you guys know technology better than me. There has to be solutions from a technological point of view where you know we're not relying on archaic systems. Mm -hmm. So reform is an opportunity to reassess who do you want to have in the US? So let's reform that. And then let's reform all of the other issues that concern people. Do, do you mean we can kick some people out? Well, I don't think we want to <laughs> kick people out. Uh, um, you know. I can think of a few. <laughs> so well, you, you guys may be a little more generous than that. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that, that would have to be an off-the-record ch chat about that one. <laughs> right, right, right. We're talking immigration and for some emigration yeah. Yeah, yeah. but i mean you'd be interested to know a lot of americans are actually giving up citizenship mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, and th that's something that isn't reported as much mm -hmm. uh, but they're doing it for many reasons a they don't like the politics here mm -hmm. but also when they live somewhere else they are actually subject to u.s taxes no matter where they live. Yes, so, taxation. Yeah. And I had an advisor a... move to Barbados in order to, before, you know, two years before an event's going to happen for him. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and, and renounce yeah. citizenship in a different country. Yeah. 
And it's not easy to give up citizenship either. You know, I mean, uh, I think there might be a story to think about right now. It didn't occur to me, but you cannot give up U.S. citizenship in the United States. You have to do it at embassies and embassies have been closed for the last, you know, since March 2020. Mm-hmm. And so there must be a group of people who've been like, you know, I'm still paying taxes that I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting that immigration is happening without us necessarily noticing it mm-hmm. because, you know, it's it's a growing number, but it's not reported as much. But the immigration that you and I should chat about, you know, over a drink at some other time, uh, <laughs> would be far more interesting. <laughs> Uh, but also, Neil, I think, too, to uh, Tamina's point about the wall, you know, I remember reading a study and this was done at Stanford University way back in the late 80s, as the Reagan administration had been then tightening border security and beginning the early stages of uh, building a barrier um, and restricting a lot of immigration. And You know, the, the second and third order effects of that were the migrant workers, especially those who were seasonal workers from Mexico, were then stranded. So it used to be, um, leading all the way up into the 80s, many families would come over to work during the growing or or harvesting season and then go back to Mexico. And the tighter security at the border made that uh, uh, transition very difficult and uh, fraught. So the families came and they stayed. (laughs) <laughs> and the families multiplied right. and grew. Yeah. And so we had yeah. all of a sudden these undocumented workers all over, especially the Western states here in California, certainly. And it became an exponentially growing problem because the families came and they stayed. So we really right. do have to, yeah, take a long-term view of any of these uh, uh, issues and policies that we put into place and really think too about the second and third order effects um that uh, yeah and let me let me explain let me explain that law to you Mm -hmm. and so what happens is if somebody comes to the u.s and they overstay they didn't come without state with status and they're in the u.s between six and 12 months Mm -hmm. and they leave the country they cannot come back for three years And if they have no status for 12 months or more, they cannot come back for 10 years. And that's the thing that really caused the surge of this population. So when you hear on the news that people say, go back to your country and then get in line, unless you change that policy, just like you said, Chris, that's not going to happen. And so that is part of if the, you know, if that was my, if I had to pick a third thing uh, on your list, that would we be We only give you one, Tamina. Because that would actually allow people to go back and then come back legally mm-hmm. uh, and the way that, you know, the rhetoric is. But yeah. you're right, those policies inadvertently had these unseen consequences that have snowballed into what it is today. Well, and and even more tragically, of course, we've doubled down and built more wall. And, you know, it's a human condition sometimes. We just go deeper into the um, source of the problem rather than the remedy. So that's been happening. But I also think, you know, as all here, um, people of color, um, immigrants living in this country, um, I think it is a, a, a nice opening that, um, you know, the uh, entrepreneurs have a chance, a better chance of coming in. But it does seem to me, 
And I've always felt as a minority in my own right that um, I've always felt that I had to prove myself, right? (laughs) Here, you know, I'm of the mind like you, Neil, and probably you, Tamina, that every immigrant to the U.S. is like a shot of energy in our arm. We, you know, no other countries really have the benefit of immigration that we've experienced and the benefit of the best ideas in the world and even just people who want to come here for a better life and work hard. Um, And I still get that sense that, you know, there's, they, you know, have to prove their entrepreneurial worth in order to be allowed this better life. And I guess it's a step in the right direction, but it still sometimes leaves me feeling like when I was in second grade and I had to prove to all the other kids that I was <laughs> just as smart or just as good or that I belonged in this class. Oh, I'm still proving that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's deeply embedded in our bones. Hey, Tamina, you know? you've at least proven it. I, I mean, no, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody who's ever it. met you thinks that, <laughs> knows that, feels that. But you know, I want to quote you, Chris. I'm going to have to write this down where immigrants are like a shot of energy in your arm. Mm-hmm. Immigrants have proven themselves that they're innovative and entrepreneurial. If you think about the the billion dollar companies in this country, over 50% of them were created by immigrants or or children of immigrants. Mm -hmm. You know, a very large number of these Fortune 500 companies were also created by immigrants. No, no, and you think about even the CEOs of these companies, right? Uh, Of the Fortune 500 companies, right? Another good number. But you can go all the way back to Carnegie Steel. And, you oh, know, yes. it's not uh, a new phenomenon. But I, I love it. Think, I, I talk think, about, go yeah, ahead, I talk about him in the book. Yeah. I've mentioned Andrew Carnegie in the book because that's, you know, it's so fascinating. I was, when I was writing the first edition of my book, The Startup Visa, mm-hmm. a documentary just happened to, you know, pop up on my feed on Netflix called America, The Story of Us. And what it was, it was sort of a a very beautifully graphically designed documentary series, maybe 10 episodes of how America came to be all the way from Jamestown to Silicon Valley. And um, I was looking at it with an immigrant perspective and whether it's the tobacco that, you know, the initial settlers had brought over to the steel that made New York the the tall city that it is today, to everything else, you know. Alexander Graham Bell, the telephone, he was also, I think, uh, a Scottish immigrant. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm so glad you're mentioning these names. Mm -hmm. Recently, um, I was looking at a report and Walt Disney was a second generation immigrant. What's happened to the narrative, when I go back to the word narrative, people just don't remember history or want to acknowledge history Mm -hmm. um, and just don't remember all of these people that have made or put America on the map. So whether it's Levi's jeans or whether it's Bose headphones or whether it's WhatsApp or whether it's you know, the D- Disneyland, all of these things, uh, immigrant entrepreneurs who have put them in place. And so that's why that would be one of my first things, because we would be able to demonstrate quite clearly what immigrants are doing. Or whether it's Sundar or uh, Satya, right? <laughs> yes. yes. 
Oh, Indrani Nui. She's my hero. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I want her to be my BFF, you know? Where is she? Where, <laughs> how do I get to her? She's my, she needs to be my BFF. Well, well, when Chris meets her next week, um, he'll mention it. I'll put you two together. Don't worry. (laughs) Tamina, where can people find you? Um, Where, where, like, can you give a specific website, Twitter feeds? Where can people find you? Get help. Follow the conversation of the work that you're doing. That's so vital. Um, And help us change this. Because I feel like it's just the, you know, I don't even tip of the iceberg doesn't even do it justice. I feel like we're, you know, on the first. 1% 1% of the conversation. Like we're, we've just opened the book on the first 1%. We haven't even gone through the first 1%. Well, I'm so grateful you had me to have this conversation and open the door to it because it's really important. And I do think that the entrepreneur rule is something that investors need to know about because I know a lot of investors have funds around the world looking for innovative entrepreneurs. And so it's it's an opportunity that's good, 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 and good. For everybody. Um, uh, and so people can find me. My website is watsonimmigrationlaw.com. I actually have a very active blog where we're talking about the new things that are happening. And that's uh, there's a tab for blog. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn if they want to connect. Um, I, as I mentioned, I actually have a podcast called Tamina Talks Immigration. And in fact, I just launched my series called The Startup Visa. That is to go hand in hand with the launch of the book. And Brad Feld is in the um, series. Uh, there, there are many people that you probably know uh, that are... Uh, because the of you. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're, you're in the world, so you probably know them without me, actually. Uh, and so that series, actually, the founder of some of an organization called Startup Without Borders. Her interview was actually released today and it's a fascinating interview that you really need to listen to about what immigrants are doing in slums and refugee camps and how they're innovating with almost next to nothing. And so she's an amazing person to listen to. So my my blog and my podcast, um, you know, and my books, my next book is coming out on July 13th. Mm-hmm. I hope you'll find, find the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and anywhere else. So thank you for this opportunity and for having me and for all the work that you guys do. Thank you very much. Tamina. Yes, everyone do pick up that uh, new book, put it in your calendar, the startup visa 2.0. Um, and Tamina, thank you very much. It's beautiful the work you're doing. I'm, and as Neil and everyone who's listening in full support, I'm sure, of all the beautiful work you're doing, it makes our country a better place to have people like you in it. Thank you. Very grateful. Thank you. I'm honored to be here.